Hello and welcome to James Wales Manifesto. In this series of podcasts, I'm playing the politicians at their own game. We're fast approaching the one-year anniversary of several inflammatory actions and statements in the arena of race relations. Baroness Vasi's comment that Islamophobia has passed the dinner party test for the British middle classes, David Cameron's own admission that the doctrine of state multiculturalism has failed, and, of course, the landmark burqa ban in France. A year on, the headlines are awash with charges of racism on the streets of East London, football pitches across the country and even in Parliament via the Twittersphere. Well, I think it's high time that this issue got a proper frank airing. I'm joined in the studio by three socially conscious and deep-thinking individuals, and we're going to thrash out a few ideas to get this country back on track in 2012. Martin Bright, now political editor of the Jewish Chronicle and formerly of the New Statesman, is also founder and chief executive of New Deal of the Mind. Douglas Murray is the associate director of the Henry Jackson Society, a think tank dedicated to democratic uh, geopolitics. And his latest book is Bloody Sunday, Truth, Lies and the Savile Inquiry. And author and journalist Brendan O'Neill is the editor of Spiked, an independent online journal that champions freedom of speech from a humanist stance. Well, without further ado, I'd like to throw down the gauntlet to my guests and announce our first race relations motion for debate today. Politicians who disseminate racially divisive opinion should be made to resign. And I apologise forthwith that we are all white people sitting around the table today, but that's just the way the cookie crumbled. Who should we start with? Martin. Uh, well, we're, we're relatively representative in a sense. I mean, in that, um, one, of the, one of the problems I think we have with this debate is this idea that somehow we're being overrun by black and Asian people. Actually, the, the proportions of uh, black and Asian people in this country are relatively small. Uh, and uh, this, for me, is, is not... Uh, I, I don't find it a, a particular problem. As for your question about uh, MPs being forced to resign uh, for making racially inflammatory comments. I mean, yes, of course. Or stupid comments, I would like to say, because they do say quite often some stupid things. They do say some stupid things. I mean, the difficulty is that I, I think uh, the world has changed beneath the feet of politicians. Uh, it is now... Uh, we're now living in a, in a, in a post-Stephen Lawrence world. I think uh, a younger generation of, uh, of people in this country are, are used to living alongside uh, uh, people of different uh, races and, uh, indeed, sexual orientation without a problem. Mm. It was one of the greatest achievements of the previous government that this, this became completely acceptable. The trouble is there are still some older members of Parliament who've, who've been left behind. They say stupid things but they are things that are nevertheless uh, pretty unpleasant. Multiculturalism, is there such a thing? Douglas. Uh, there is, but there are several versions of it. Um, are you English, by the way? I'm British, half Scottish, half English. You see, I'm half Welsh, half English. Do you call yourself British? Uh, yes, and when I really want to wind people up, I call myself Welsh. <laughs> yes, I find the only people who still call themselves British other than myself are uh, people who've recently immigrated to the country. Um, yeah. Uh, but Does it matter? I think it does. I, I believe in the union, but anyhow. Um, no, but I was thinking, does does race matter? Do your roots oh. matter? I mean, aren't we all British? We live on uh, yes. in Britain, on the British Isles. We, you know, even if you think... go back to people who say, I'm an Anglo-Saxon, sure. I mean, that means you're part German, doesn't it? And yes, then... look, I mean, I mean, does race matter? No, or at least it shouldn't. Does culture matter? Yes, and it should. Um, 
And along that dividing line, you see a lot of the confusion that Britain is currently going through. I think Martin's absolutely right. The ground has shifted so completely in recent decades that uh, older members of parliament who retain racist attitudes like Diane Abbott, for instance, are now called out for them in a way which they wouldn't have been until fairly recently. But I'd just like to, 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 um, to highlight one other thing, which is that the, that the multiculturalism issue you mentioned, it had two different uh, 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 things behind it. The first was the popular misunderstanding of what multiculturalism is. The popular misunderstanding was that multiculturalism was multiracialism, was the society we now live in. Uh, people of all sorts of different backgrounds, coloured skin, and uh, different and so on. That was what the public thought they were hearing when they heard the word multiculturalism. But what the politicians meant in Britain and across Europe was something quite different. For them, multiculturalism was a policy by which you approached people as part of a community other than the community of the country they were in. In other words, that if you were, say, an Asian Muslim girl from Birmingham... Uh, who was a British citizen, you were not treated as a British citizen, but as a member of the Asian or Muslim community in the Birmingham area. That was what state multiculturalism meant. That was what David Cameron was saying was wrong. That's what I think has been wrong. And I think there has been a deliberate attempt to elide that with the simple and I think good fact of multiracialism. All right. Brendan, um, I'm going to change what we're, we're debating slightly because what I'm interested in is do you think uh, people of different racial backgrounds can live harmoniously together? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. I've lived in parts of London where that happens all the time. The problem we have today is the race, race relations industry itself, which I think should be dismantled and done away with and buried. It's an extremely divisive and destructive institution which sows suspicion between communities, entrenches differences between them, inflames the politics of victimhood so every black person or white person can say, oh, someone called me a name, therefore they have to be sacked or banned or thrown off Twitter or whatever else. You know, sometime after the Second World War, the governments of Western countries moved from using the politics of race to justify their rule to using the politics of race relations, the idea that they had to manage relations between different racial groups, which is now transmogrified into multiculturalism, an even more kind of explicit form of that. It's very divisive. It sets up this idea that there is some kind of massive difference between a black person and a white person and an Asian person, which is such a profound difference, it has to be managed by experts and well-educated people in quangos who must tell us how to relate to each other and speak to each other. What do you think, Brendan, of people who set themselves up as community leaders without any kind of democratic uh, mandate from the people they say they are leaders of? I think they should all be swept aside, ideally by the communities themselves who they patronise and claim to represent. I, I'm against the idea of these undemocratic community leaders who speak on the authority of their skin colour or of their cultural heritage. It's a very backward, almost tribalistic form of politics. I'm a totally against those kind of undemocratic community leaders. And I'm against the way in which the centre of government, Westminster, uh, develops that idea and encourages these people to come forth and to represent their communities. People are represented in this country through the democratic system, for better or worse, whether it's perfect or not. That And everyone is equal from that standpoint. One man, one vote. But when you get into the politics of race relations or the politics of 
multiculturalism. There's no longer equality. A black person has more authority on a particular issue because he's black. A Muslim person has more authority because they're Muslim. It gives rise to this authority through heritage, which is very dangerous and very uh, divisive. So I think the problem we have in Britain is not that there are too many races. Race, pe people of different races can live perfectly harmoniously. It's that we have a race relations industry which seeks to manage our interaction with each other, which inevitably gives rise to suspicion. OK. Um, let I'm, I'm concerned that if you were to read the papers, listen to the radio, watch the television at the moment, you would think we were a far more racist country than we've been for some time. Martin. Yes, I think the, the difficulty is that uh, we in the media industry uh, find such stories compelling. Uh, I do myself. As the, as the political editor of the Jewish Chronicle, I have written several stories over recent weeks about anti-Semitism. Uh, I think this is important. I think it's important to point these things out. And one of the reasons that we do point them out is that they are still relatively unusual. That's what makes them news stories. Every uh, time... I'll bring you up on that. I'm just interested. Every time somebody says something that could be uh, described as a criticism... Of, of Jewish state, of Israel, or you get an enormous backlash of, of, of people accusing you of anti-Semitism. If, if anybody is uh, speaking up on behalf of Arabs or Palestinians or some situation in the Middle East, some things that are said to those people who would stick up for them could be deemed to be incredibly racist. Yeah, I'm a, I, you know, look, I think, and this is going to sound terribly dull, but I think there needs to be some balance here. I think I think it very much depends on on the uh, on the issue, and it's look. I work as the political editor of the Jewish Chronicle. I am not Jewish myself. I think that's a sign of how integrated we've become, particularly with with uh, the Jewish community. Uh, I think that's perfectly possible. I think it's perfectly possible to live together. It's something of a marriage. We have to really we have to really work at it. But you're absolutely right. We have to be very careful when people are being criticised for being. Islamophobic or anti-Semitic or racist against black people, that we are talking about real racism and we're not just using racism or the cry of racism as a weapon. I've been called uh, in my writing Islamophobic. Douglas has been called uh, Islamophobic. It is a horrible thing to call someone. It is it is malicious and it is false. And it's I understand nasty. that it's people... nasty to call somebody racist. It's nasty to call somebody uh, a xenophobe. It's nasty to call somebody uh, you know anti-Jewish. It's it, but but you we, we're living in a society where talking around race you have to kind of walk on eggshells and that's the annoying thing the, the problem is that racism has been emptied of meaning it's a very very serious thing when it occurs and particularly when it occurs from the top down which it used to do in the past it was a terrible thing it had a terrible terribly detrimental impact on society but we're too touchy but about it aren't we because we, well, you, we've probably all got friends who are different colors different races different religions i don't know what i'm sure we all do have because we live in such a but uh, but racism has declined enormously and we've become more obsessed with it the more oh, that it's declined and that's it, there's the, a very obvious reason for that which is that until fairly recently it required political courage to stand up to racism and now it requires none and so politicians now a stand-up to racism. For instance, Nick Clegg gave a speech a couple of years ago I was at, speaking to a, a group studying contemporary anti-Semitism, and he announced, among other things, how opposed he was to anti-Semitism and how he particularly was opposed to Nazism. 
I challenged him on this because I said, I think seven decades on, it's it's not difficult to be opposed to Nazism. It was quite difficult in the early 1930s, a bit less difficult in the late 1930s. It really isn't difficult at all in 2009 or whenever it was Clegg made the speech. So this is the point. It has become an opportunity for politicians with no guts on political issues to pretend they do have political guts. Now, let me give an example of something that would show some political guts that they should do. Go on. Because Martin's already already uh, trodden towards this, so I should too. There is a terrible mistake going on at the moment in this country and in our political class. Baroness Wazi is a very good example. She made a speech a year ago saying that Islamophobia... Uh, uh, has passed uh, uh, some kind of test. This word has to be assaulted. Islamophobia is not the same. First of all, it means very little. Nobody can really agree what it means. Secondly, it is not racism. And I'll just explain very quickly if I can why. Racism is particularly abhorrent because it attacks people for something that has nothing to do with themselves. That's the simple chance of the colour of their skin. Simple skin pigmentation, which uh, makes no difference to anything else in your life. It's it's moronic. It's it's, it's a moronic, idiotic... uh, uh, um, uh, bigotry and prejudice. Yeah. Now, as far as I can see, what Islamophobia means, where Baroness Wazi or someone uses it, is something that could be seen to be uh, critical of Islam or Muslims. Now, this is crucial. Something that is critical of a religion is not necessarily a bad thing. I can tell you right now. Couldn't I don't agree think, with you more. I don't think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a virgin. I think it's highly improbable for the first time in human history. And do you know, a, I a, couldn't care less. Absolutely. That's the other, I <laughs> just absolutely. don't give a but stuff. I, I think, I think it's highly improbable that for the first time in human history, somebody came, became pregnant without yeah. any connection with the male. But I don't think uh, we thing. should even now, have to think about these things. Well, I mean, if people just... are obsessed by these things, Douglas, leave them to it. Yes. But don't criticise me, because I think those people who believe in things that could never be proved get on my tits completely, I get fed up with this. And this is the religion is the most divisive thing absolutely, there is. Absolutely, but crucial, they're on my tits even more you than yours, if, if possible. <laughs> um, uh, because uh, the crucial thing is this what I just said about Jesus and the Virgin Mary would be very unlikely to cause people to say, You're a Christianophobe. And if they did, they would be very unlikely to be trying to allege that I hate all white people. Now, when they say you're an Islamophobe, they are not merely saying that you may dislike Islam. They are saying you probably dislike people with darker coloured skin. But the fact is, is that if you're an atheist and you believe, as I do, that Mohammed made the whole thing up, then you have the right to say that without being accused of either hating all members of religion or hating people of a particular skin pigmentation. So it is a particularly vicious thing that has entered our public discourse, this lie that the criticism of a religion is the hatred of race. Let us move on from that, because I would love us to do another programme on religion, because I... I you, I'll come I, back. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind religion as long as it doesn't get in my way and religious people don't assume that they have the uh, moral high ground. Uh, so that's another thing. Let's come back, and you made a very good point, Douglas, and I think we would all probably agree with that. Let's come back to talking about race, the colour of people's skin and the way some people behave. And it seems since... Uh, Stephen Lawrence's murder, that we've all become much, much more aware of this. It also seems that there is a section of society, and if we go back to the recent riots, you can see it, who think that they can use the colour of their skin to actually protect them from law and order in some ways. Is that fair, Martin? 
I don't think it is fair, actually. And uh, I'm something of a fan of uh, of what Brendan calls the race relations industry. I think it's done a lot of good uh, over the last uh, decade or so to to raise our awareness of uh, of the reality of racism. And lots, let's not be complacent here. Um, just because things are a lot better doesn't mean that there aren't still problems. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't call racism what it is when we see it. And, of course, the the difficult thing is that it's become much, much, much more subtle. Uh, now, there may be... You may be absolutely right. There may be uh, intricate ways that people can hide behind racism in order to commit crimes. I'm sure there are instances where that has been possible. Um, there, it is also true that stop and search... Uh, affects young black men more than it affects young white men. That's absolutely. Have you the ever case. been stopped and searched? I've by never the been stopped and searched I in my life. Been I've been stopped and searched loads of times. When I was on the radio late at night and used to, at one time in my life drive a white sports Mercedes, wear a baseball cap, uh, travel through London at sort of two or three o'clock in the morning, I often used to be stopped. And sometimes I was quite good about it because, you know, I, and other times I was tired and a bit tetchy. Now, I was quite happy for them to stop me. They were looking for people who, who looked as if they might have been up to no good or they, and, and I probably fitted the bill. I mean, you guys, I don't think any of you would be stopped, but I've me, I look a bit of a... Times. Well, and all you have to do is be pleasant to them or, or just answer the questions and you go on your way. I don't believe that that is can be used as a tool to say, we're, you know, we've got inherent racism in our police force. I just don't think that's right. If there are a couple of people in the police force, like a couple of people who are a bit sort of screwed mentally, then they need to be weeded out. But I, I honestly don't believe there are very many people in this country who don't like somebody just because of the colour of their skin. But the problem is the extent to which racism has been relativised and emptied of content. So, And that was done after Lawrence's killing in the McPherson report of 1999, which redefined racism as unwitting racism to begin with. So it's not even something that you consciously think. It's just like a kind of nervous tick that some people have. And they also defined racism as something that which is perceived to be racist by the victim or by any other the person so basically anything that's why you can have a situation where diane abbott's tweet mm. is considered to be racist which i don't think it was because anything is racist these days Do thanks you know, Brendan, to her we're all we're all racist aren't we in a way we all have a bit of racism in us well i don't think that's true and the, the, the thing i think is that what's happened is that the authorities used to use the politics of race to divide people and control people. I, I, uh, people might disagree with me on that, but that's that's what happened. Today, they use the politics of anti-racism to do precisely the same thing. So anti-racism has been turned into this official creed of the authorities who now see racism as a kind of, really a form of bad manners and stupidity and ignorance. And they police particularly white working class communities, which are seen as these hotbeds of racism and prejudice, who need to be re-educated by the polytoimbies yeah, of the you, world. But you, you and I and both know that that isn't true. Uh, and, it's and, not true. And the politicians themselves... I mean, I, I'm a bit on the side of the politician here. I don't think politicians really think like that, do they? I think they do. I think because they, they live in this kind of bubble which is very removed from ordinary people's lives and they see people at football matches saying, oh, look at that stupid black whatever. And they think that is an expression of ideological racism. But I might racism. say somebody, you know, something about someone like you if you were heated up as I mean, look at that prat over there <laughs> yeah. with a sort of tash and going bald and trying <laughs> exactly. to... Exactly. You know. Exactly. And they, because they're so removed from that world, they see it as in being... Uh, 
you know, evil and hatred and race and driven by bigotry, and they don't understand. They don't yeah. understand passion. They don't understand interaction. They don't understand that some people just aren't politically correct. But would you at a football match have commented on the person's race? Would you do that? Would you say there's a, you know... No, I wouldn't, personally speaking. Would you? But I know that what happens inside no, a football I, stadium I, I, I is very would, different yeah. to what well, happens no, in the real I also world. Think that it, 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 I also think that it's incumbent on individuals around a person who does that to single them out and but tell I them can, what they think. In a, in a matter of heated arguments, I can remember a friend of mine who's uh, from the West Indies, he and I both hurling uh, racist insults in a, in a uh, you know in a jovial way at each other. Are we getting to a situation in society where you just can't do that? It's all it's all about context, isn't it? And I, and I think this unwitting racism uh, argument is 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 particularly pertinent, particularly interesting. And also, I do accept uh, Brendan's point about about working class communities and 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 how they sure. operate. When the last time I went to Millwall, for instance. Uh, I was with, a, as it happens, a Jewish friend. Uh, and right in front of me was a father and son. Uh, and right in front of them, someone was pulled out by the police for hurling racist comments at the Warsaw yeah. players. Yeah. And the little boy said to his dad, what's going on, Dad? And he said, well, he was making racist comments, son, and that's completely unacceptable. And I thought, God, this is, this mm. is fantastic. This is, this is absolutely where we should be. And then seconds later, the, the dad shouted at one of the Warsaw players. He said, uh, he said, get off the pitch, you brummy puff. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. actually, We shouldn't laugh, but, you know... You know that, yeah. That's the point, isn't it? That yeah. actually you can you can educate only so far. Now, w the point I think that's very important about... don't need education. No, but, what happens inside a football stadium is not what happens inside the real yeah. world. I, I the I football agree. stadium is a different place. Oh, and you I don't agree no, no, I think, no, I think, that, I think well, that's wrong, Brenda, but what I do... what I do, what I, what I, I do... I, 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 once a long time ago, which is why I didn't want to It's a very different place. You unleash your id, you unleash your inner... Hang on, hang on. Guys, person, that's a problem. <laughs> Guys, is is it acceptable for us? You know, is there not not a place for 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 you to let out those little hidden feelings sometimes? Particularly if you're sitting around a dinner table with people of different different races, different religions, and you you know you can relax and you have friends. You know you know you are not going to be offensive. Now, I I had a long discussion once about this. Um, with uh, I had a rabbi, I had a mullah, and I had a bishop, all in the same debate. Okay, <laughs> and uh, and and they were of different colours as well, yeah. which was the interesting thing. And people basically felt that you know it 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 wasn't so much that they were different, they looked different, or, or it it was all down to the fact that people had to tread on eggshells when they were around people who were different to them. And we all, we all pick out... We, listen, we were all at school and we used to pick on somebody who looked a bit different to us or we used to... You know, people did. It's, it's a bit of human nature... It's a bit sure. that we have to actually control a little better. Yes, and you have to be encouraged to control a certain bit. There are all sorts of things. I mean, I mean, humankind is in, tends toward violence in all sorts of situations, but we are persuaded well, by civilized society to avoid violence yeah, if we can. Look at the state of the world at the moment. I mean, we're being more violent now than we've been for sure, years. Sure, and if I can say so, by the way, on, on the negative side of the thing we're discussing at the moment, uh, actually, uh, ethnic-based conflict it, uh, and separation is on the rise at the moment. Uh, around the world, states are fragmenting along ethnic lines as we speak. It's yeah. happening all the time. It's happening, actually, of course, in the UK at the moment. So, first of all, there is obviously a problem. There is obviously a problem uh, with, about race, uh, and it is something that people should get over if they feel it and should be encouraged to get over. But the question is how much government can do in that. 
And uh, I think it can lead the way in all sorts of things. I think that people at football matches should be encouraged not to shout racist abuse because precisely you see younger people there who will see this and think that is an acceptable form of discourse. Um, but how much government can make it illegal, how much it can try to imprison people, I think that's a totally different different. Let me, let me move this on slightly. Let, let, let's talk about the fact that, that w- not only in this country but all over where people of different backgrounds go, they tend to congregate together. And we do have this kind of ghettoization of different areas where, you know, Asian people live predominantly there, black people live there, uh, the white people move to go and, yeah. and quite often move to get away. Now, that in itself, I, I suppose, could be seen as inherent racism, but we don't have any wish to kind of get together more. When people do, particularly now, and from all races, mixed marriages are still frowned upon by lots of people. You know, you're talking about working for the Jewish Chronicle. You know, if a Jew marries out of, of their race to a, to a Gentile, uh, an Asian marries a black, a black marries... People still get very wound up about this and don't think they're racist. Can I say, I, I, once again, I think it's very important not to confuse race and culture or race and religion. If a Jewish person is criticised for marrying out of the Jewish faith, it tends to be because of faith or culture more than about race as such. And I think that's 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 sort of uh, that's widely sort of felt now. The reason why people you know like to be around people like them is they like to be around the same sort of culture then. If, if you're an orthodox Jew, you want to be around other orthodox Jews. It makes your life a lot easier. If you're a de- if you're a devout um, a Muslim, it's likely you're going to be one to write, and and so on. So and and I think the racial aspect of this is breaking down has broken down. If I want to be around people of my own culture now and I know as you say, to a great extent I do. Not completely, by any means. But well, not to a great today, extent, you're not, no. To a great extent I do. <laughs> um, then now, people of my own culture are of all sorts of skin colours, any type of skin colour. Mm. And we have exactly the same frames of reference, exactly the same interests, exactly the same, <laughs> same pursuits. So the racial aspect of that has, to an extent, disappeared. All right. I want to, uh, we're running out of time on this, believe it or not. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson uh, recently uh, made what was uh, deemed xenophobic jibes. Um, is that us getting just too, uh, too politically correct? Um, I mean, they weren't made in a nasty way. I do remember as well talking to people who said, listen, you can say almost anything... But it's the way that you say it. I mean, no. you can t- you take the word "packy," for instance, which w- you know you just would not use now in this country. Yet in Australia, uh, it's like calling the, the the Brits the Brits or the Poms, the Pakistanis the Pakis. It doesn't have that sense of alienation that it has over here because mm. of the way people say things. I think I think the the important point that we keep coming back to is this idea of oversensitivity. And I think that Brendan made some important points about about working class communities and the, and and the fact that we sit here in a rather privileged situation where we end up getting very uh, very sensitive about these things. Whereas on an everyday level, in a lot of working class communities, people have to rub up against each other. And I think it's very important to remember that the place where we often get very uh, snobbish about racism where we think that working class people are uh, uh, are terribly prejudiced 
often working class communities are the places where people have to learn to live together. I think that's very different, however, and I think it's very important to remember that that is, that is right. And that most working class people accept that other working class people might not be the same colour as them. And they may even be mixed race, for goodness sake. Uh, but I think where this is a problem is looking in our institutions and whether this is unwitting racism or not. In this room today is a very good example within our within our arts institutions, within our media, within our government, there are not enough people from different backgrounds. And there must be a reason for that. No. Uh, I mean, the reason sure. is, as you said earlier, there are not a very large proportion of the population. Mm. But no, that, that doesn't mean there should be oh. none. No, 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 <laughs> but there, there are, there are, there are lots, though, lots. There are lots. But the, the problem... Guys, let Brendan speak. There are actually lots of minorities. The problem uh, in terms of diversity well, in our institutions... The, out, Brendan, well, the problem with diversity in our institutions is not uh, based on skin colour so much, but is on sameness of opinion. What's interesting, if, if a black guy or an Asian woman gets into the BBC or the Guardian or the Independent, they have the same views as everyone else in that world. The, di the lack of diversity is in relation to what people think, not in relation to how they look. Well, the I mean, thing is, I think in terms, of, that's, that's, in terms right, of words and, and abuse and uh, Jeremy so what, Jeremy, yeah. I, I think what we, we need to look at the context of these things. My mother, who lives in a kind of working class community in North London, an Irish community, she they shop at this local shop which sells all the Irish newspapers and they refer to the guy who runs the shop as Paddy the Packy because he sells all these Irish newspapers and he's Asian. Now, they are not racist. I can assure you they love this guy, they give him Christmas presents, they yeah. go there yeah. every day. It's a term of affection and that is not understood by people who mm. live without those communities because they can't see it as being now, anything other than abusive. Let's bring Douglas in here because he's pulling a very strange face. Well, first of all, you, but you, you can see why that wouldn't travel well. That Yeah, but why, should, why does it have to travel no, well? Sure, if you don't want to no, do it in absolutely. the Westminster bubble, then but don't do it. But of course, the interesting thing is that at the moment, all sorts of social media like Twitter are allowing people who would previously have said things privately to say them publicly and make complete asses of themselves. Um, and one of, the, one of the things here is, is, is this. It comes back to this thing of, of trying to police the thing you can't police and failing to police the thing you can. Mm. The Jeremy Clarkson thing is such an interesting example, a completely bogus, repeatedly bogus row. Some days I think the Telegraph has no news reports other than what Jeremy Clarkson has gaffed on that day. Because it's so easy for journalists, because instead of having to go out and get a story, they can sit at their desk, eat a ginger nut, and look at what, look at what Jeremy Clarkson said on Twitter or said on his latest programme. It's so easy, and they call it investigative reporting. And the point is, is that what you avoid in this is actually finding out the real problems that are going on. It's a complete diversion. And 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 I, I just think in this country at the moment, we have a problem with this. Instead of trying to root out real problems, instead of trying to prosecute actual all right. crimes, all is... sorts of crimes aren't prosecuted, but we want to prosecute things that aren't right. crimes. Is a real problem, we're coming up to the end, is a real problem in this country that in schools, particularly in the capital... Uh, there are many languages taught in one school. Are we too understanding of people living in this country who don't want to become part of this country, who just come here for a while, but they want to continue to, to, to live, to behave and to speak uh, in an alien way? Yes. No, I think we, I think we, over, <laughs> we, completely, we completely overreact to this problem. Uh, that is precisely why I send my children to a, a school in London, is because I want to have that mix of cultures and I want them to enjoy rubbing up against people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Of course it then becomes a problem. Again, sorry, I'm going to be very reasonable and balanced about this. Of course it becomes a problem if everybody in that school is Bangladeshi. But, you know, let's let's move towards a position where mm -hmm. that's not the case. If we live in London, we are living all in right. a multicultural 
uh, capital, and that's good. We're in the situation of winding this up. OK, so, so are we getting better at race, race relations or not? Uh, much, much better, but the problem's become more subtle. All right, Martin. Douglas. I think what's happening is that we still have, as uh, as Brenda said, the race relations industry. And like all charities, even if it solves the disease it's set up to solve, it'll find a way to can continue. Uh, and I think the race relations industry has managed to find a way to continue at a really high pitch and at high peak powers at a time when they could actually lessen it. Uh, there are fewer of these incidents, there are fewer of these, of these, of these problems to iron out now than there were 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, I think, of course, this is a more tolerant country than it was. I think... I think, to, to resort to cliché, this remains probably the most tolerant country in the world. Well, and to keep on beating ourselves up for our intolerance is to completely mm. ignore what most of the rest of the world does. All right. Uh, Brendan, we would, we would absolutely be apoplectic, and quite rightly so, if we actually saw signs in windows uh, around now saying no blacks, no Irish, wouldn't we? We would, yeah. And so we are would, better. We are definitely better. I think there would be a great deal of racial and cultural harmony in this country if it wasn't for the race relations industry constantly reminding us that we're white or black or Asian and therefore that we have to behave to each other in a certain fashion. If we can remove that kind of continual, that institution which sows this suspicion, which is illiberal, which is censorious, which is divisive, then I think people would get on pretty well. So we are better. And, and we are heading the right way, but it seems that a consensus of opinion between all of you is that the race relations industry is one that actually should uh, should be in decline. No, that's not my. That's not what I believe. I believe that the race relations industry, which I think is uh, something of a, a, a coinage that uh, is inaccurate, it's not an industry at all. Uh, I think that race relations bodies have have played an important role in uh, getting us to the situation we're now at. I think one other thing, which is that there will never be a nirvana on this issue, and everyone, I think, should realise this. There will never be a time when not a single person slips and says something stupid or doesn't or says something they didn't mean to say or says something they did mean to say. Mm. There will never be a point at which you have completely eradicated prejudice from society. There is a direction you can go in, but there's no sunlit upland. Right. Would you like the last word, Brendan? Well, the lived experience of multiracialism and multiculturalism is wonderful. We get to see lots of different things. We get to meet lots of different people. That's great. But the institutionalization of it, the transformation of it into this kind of sac sacrament that people have to worship at and that you all completely recognise your differences all the time, that's the problem. So mixing people together, great. Institutionalising differences, bad. Great. Thank you very much indeed, Brendan O'Neill, Douglas Murray and Martin Bright. And you've been listening to James Whale's Manifesto, a podcast produced by Wise Buddha. We'll be back to jumpstart you out of your winter blues with more debate on the issues that Great British public are tearing their hair out very, very soon. Well, most of the great British public, I shan't be tearing my hair out. I haven't got any. <laughs>